Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Thank you, Chris. Um, Well, as Mark mentioned, we are starting this new series in the Psalms. Uh, And Mark also mentioned it'll be a little bit choppy. We've got a couple of weeks in the Psalms. Paul Harrington will be with us for three weeks then back in the Psalms. Uh, Jack Page will be preaching a couple of weeks later in the term as well. But other than that, uh, we'll spend this term reflecting on a selection of Psalms. A quick orientation. Psalms is in the Old Testament, the part of the Bible written before Jesus, a collection of songs and poems and prayers. A lot of them were written by David, uh, Israel's greatest king. Uh, A number were written by others, but David kind of looms large over the Psalms. And I don't know about you, but for many Christians, for me included, Um, The Psalms hold a really special place. Um, There's so many of the Psalms that speak really deeply into our situation and they express so many emotions and uh, like they they cover everything, uh, every human experience with an incredible depth and beauty. But if you ever tried to read through the Psalms seriously yourself, uh, perhaps uh, I've felt this as well, perhaps you felt this, they can also be quite a confusing uh, thing to read. Comforting and confusing, um, and so at, at times even a little bit disturbing. They say things that can make us uncomfortable. Maybe you picked that up as we read through Psalm 3, uh, that call for justice on the wicked. Uh, that kind of recurs through the Psalms, and it can seem a little uncomfortable to us. We'll come back to that one. Uh, so sometimes in the Psalms, the writer makes these huge claims about himself, um, uh, listen to this and see if you can identify with this. This is from Psalm 17. Though you pro- He's talking to God. Though you probe my heart, though you examine me at night and test me, you will find that I have planned no evil. My mouth has not transgressed. My steps have held to your paths. My feet have not stumbled. Now, uh, which of us could pray that or say that to God? So that, and that, again, is something that happens through the Psalms. You get these expressions of... Um, these huge claims. Another reason why they can be a little bit confusing is that the writer at times faces these really extreme situations that can be hard to relate to. Uh, We see that in this psalm, in Psalm 3. Did you notice up up above the psalm, before uh, uh, the psalm uh, was read, there's that little transcription up the front, up the the top, uh, that says a psalm of David, uh, when he was... Uh, what does it say? When he was being persecuted, or he, he was um, uh, being uh, persecuted by his son Absalom. 
hunted down by Absalom. Okay, so we find out there that this psalm is written by David as he's been hunted by his son who wants to kill him and take over his kingdom. Now, I've never been, nor do I expect to be king over a kingdom. And I, I don't expect one of my sons to raise an army against me, drive me out of town and try to kill me. Although, where are you, lads? I've got my eye on you. <laughs> uh, you can see how the, the extreme situation of the psalm can lead us to think uh, it's, it sort of seems a little bit confusing what's going on here. Um, it, all this can lead to a bit of a selective reading of the psalms. We can treat the psalms a little bit like this, a uh, box of chocolates. There should be, there we go. Uh, you dive in for the caramel chews, but leave those ginger and coffee ones well alone. Anyone with me there? Uh, we've got some, we've got some, <laughs> some of us like the ginger, I can't understand that. Um, but it's possible to treat the psalms a little bit like that, right? Um, we pull out a verse that we like and just maybe skip over the confusing or uncomfortable bits. Um, the danger if we do that is that we may end up missing out on the fullness of what God is saying here. And if that's all we do with these psalms, I think that we risk dishonouring the spirit of God who inspired them, who inspired every part of them. Well, this series through the psalms is really just an attempt to help us um, find our way through that confusion as we approach these psalms. Well, I want to approach a selection of psalms. It's not everything there is to say about the psalms, but we're going to uh, read through together a selection of psalms. And I want to try and approach them, I think, in the same way that the New Testament does. Um, listen to these words from Colossians 3, from the Apostle Paul. Uh, he writes to the church in Colossae, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing with, to God with gratitude in your hearts. You see what Paul, what's Paul saying there? For Paul, the singing of the psalms together, the meditating on them, the reflecting on these psalms together, um, is, is not here at least, not primarily about a, a, a bit of personal inspiration, as inspiring as many of them are, um, Paul expects, as we sing and reflect on and listen to the Psalms together, um, he expects that the word of Christ would dwell richly among us. So reading the Psalms together is a way in which God enables the word of Christ to dwell richly among us. Uh, did you know that the Psalms is the most quoted book of the Old Testament in the New Testament? Uh, both uh, on the lips of Jesus a lot um, and in the reflections of the apostles. The Psalms are just kind of everywhere through the New Testament. They're constantly being quoted or referred to. And the New, the New Testament does a number of different things with the Psalms. Sometimes it uses a Psalm to highlight the, the sinfulness of God's people or of humanity. Uh, if you read uh, the early chapters of Romans, you'll get the Psalms used like that. Sometimes they uh, use uh, the psalms uh, occasionally as expressions of praise. But what's really interesting is, uh, and you can just even just flick through your New Testament and 
have a look uh, wherever there's a quote of the psalm and a footnote down the bottom and have a, have, check this out. Um, what's really interesting is that the overwhelming emphasis in how the New Testament uses the psalms is in order to understand Jesus, to understand the person and work of Jesus. The psalms are about the gospel in their deepest and truest sense. Uh, they are the songs of Jesus. Now, the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. The whole of the Old Testament story leads us to Jesus, and the Psalms are a part of that. Um, but they do this in, I think, a really unique way. Um, uh, they do it through, uh, I mentioned David, the kind of primary author of the Psalms. David the king, he, the Psalms are, uh, the, the Old Testament is full of these characters uh, who in some way, they're, dis, they're, they're sinful, fallible people, but in some way they are like signposts pointing forward to Jesus. They're, they teach us something about who Jesus is. Um, and David is a major one of those characters in the Old Testament. He's this signpost pointing forward to the ultimate eternal king over God's kingdom, Jesus. Uh, and as you read through the Psalms, you might notice a lot of them have that little um, title at the top of David, as, as does today. Uh, and that's actually a really significant um, little uh, uh, hint, and we should prick our ears up when we read that, that this may have something to tell us about God's king. Um, but the Psalms also as a whole point us forward to Jesus. Um, we looked a, a few years ago at Psalms 1 and 2, um, and uh, one author, the, 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 Psalms one, the first two Psalms are like an introduction to the whole book. They introduce kind of the main themes of the whole of the Psalms, and one author makes this comment, it should be up on the screen as well. As we begin the Psalms, we are looking for a Psalm 1 man. If you're familiar with Psalm 1, it talks about this righteous man. We are looking for a Psalm 1 man who will be the Psalm 2 king. Psalm 2 is all about God's king. Uh, the king who is righteous, the righteous man who is king. So that kind of sets the tone for the whole of the Psalms, and that's what we're going to be doing uh, as we travel through this selection, seeing how they lead us to Jesus and how they deepen our insight into our Lord so that the the wonderful word of Christ would dwell richly among us. That's my hope for this series. Um, well, Psalm 3. Um, Psalm 3. Uh, if you uh, have Bibles open, that'll be helpful. It will come up on the screen too as we read through this together. Uh, the first thing you notice as you um, open into Psalm 3, and especially if you've read Psalm 1 and 2 beforehand, the first thing you notice, I think, is a bit, actually a bit of a shock. I mentioned it earlier. Um, Psalm 2 has just painted this incredible portrait of God's eternal king, of God's great king, his son who rules over the whole world. And then Psalm 3 opens like this, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Uh, here's a picture. Apparently this is Absalom conspiring against David. Um, but... You go from this great picture in Psalm 2 of God's king, God's king who rules the nations, and then immediately you get to Psalm 3 and zoom in on David, Israel's greatest king, 
He's n- but he's not in- exactly ruling the world, is he? He's, not, he's on the run. He's fleeing for his life. He's betrayed by his own son. And you see straight away as we travel through the Psalms that God's king is one who is familiar with suffering, who is familiar with betrayal and with opposition. And the psalm starts with this king calling out to Yahweh, calling out to the Lord. And whenever you see Lord in capital letters in your Old Testament, that um, uh, is the name Yahweh, the personal name of Yahweh, the covenant God who made promises to his people, who made promises to David. And David calls out to Yahweh. He looks out and sees all these people turned against him. His friends have become his foes. He's been betrayed by his own flesh and blood. Um, And it's helpful to kind of just imagine something of the anguish that he would be feeling as he's writing this. You know, he's he's on the run. He gets out his... I'm not sure how he would have written it. (laughs) I was going to say his quill. I don't know. Uh, But he starts writing this psalm. Uh, You can feel his anguish while he's on the run. Lord, how many are my foes? They're not just foes out there, though. They're, they're rising up against him. How many rise up against me? But David goes further. They're not just his foes. They're not just mock, uh, rising up against him. They are mocking him. They're scoffing at him. Verse 2, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. And if you'd been there, it certainly looked like they were right that God had abandoned his king, David. Um, you read it in, Psalm, uh, in 2 Samuel 15 and 16. Uh, you can go and sort of chase up the story of David. Uh, he's fleeing Jerusalem. We're told that he goes up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he goes. Uh, and then he keeps going, and there's this guy named Shimei, who follows him. Do you know this story? He follows him along the road as David's leaving Jerusalem, and starts pelting him with stones and dirt and calling out curses on him. <clears throat> so this does not look like the king of Psalm 2. <laughs> uh, the one God had given these great promises to. The one whose throne would be established forever. And it's, it's not too difficult for us to track forward to Jesus from here, is it? Um, who also left Jerusalem on the night he was betrayed. Uh, who also went up the Mount of Olives and wept there, who also faced enemies intent on killing him, but who, unlike David, was arrested, who was tried, paraded, struck and spat upon, and who, as he hung on the cross, was mocked. Remember what they said of Jesus? He saved others, let him save himself, let God rescue him if he wants him. And in that moment, these words of Psalm 3 were fulfilled. Many rose up against Jesus. Many said, God will not deliver him. But listen to how the king responds to this suffering, this opposition. He looks around at the opposition, but then he looks up to his, his God, to Yahweh, and says, but you, Lord are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. It's a 
beautiful image, isn't it? I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. See what David does here? He takes hold of Yahweh as his protection, his glory, his dignity, his strength. He calls out to the Lord. And did you see what he says there? He says, he calls out to the Lord and the Lord answers him from his holy mountain. Now that, and you, if you have your Bibles open, you can't see on the screen, but you can see if you just flick your eyes back to Psalm 2, that's a, really a direct link to back in Psalm 2, talking about God's great king who he has installed on his holy mountain, Zion, uh, the place of God's covenant promise to David. And that's what David turns to, this confidence he has in the Lord, who has given him incredible promises. See, David's confidence is not just a general confidence in God. Here, it's a very specific confidence. It's based on God's promise to him, his king. And as he faces his enemies, he claims, he takes hold of that promise, and he, he, it, it's a shield for him, a rock. It's a safe place to rest on. And so he says in verse 5, I lie down and sleep. In the midst of all of this, <laughs> I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. In the midst of tens of thousands who are sort of against him, David says, I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. And again, uh, it's not too difficult for us to track forward to great David's greater son, is it, to the Lord Jesus? He, uh, God had declared to Jesus in his baptism, you are my son whom I love. You are the great king of Psalm 2, my true eternal king. And so Jesus could call out to his father in those words that we opened with, that Mark opened with. Jesus could call out to his father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Confident that his father would hear and answer him. And Jesus could lie down and sleep. Um, this is great, I think. I don't know, have you ever been sleepless? I should have. I've had a few sleepless nights this week, partly to do with my cold, um, but partly also, you know, you know I, I suspect many of us know how it is once your sort of brain starts ticking over and kind of can't get back to sleep and you're worried about not sleeping. And it can be very easy to read a psalm like this and to think, oh, if I, I just need to trust God more, and then I should be able to sleep better. Why can't I sleep better? I need to work harder at trusting God more so that I can get a better night's sleep. Can you see how it can be very subtle, but in, in I think, a really unhelpful way, we can turn God's wonderful grace into another law that condemns us. Um, but that, friends, is not, I think, is not the good news of Psalm 3. It is not the good news of the gospel of Jesus. The good news is, that is ours through Jesus, is that we have a king, the eternal son of God, who trusted his father so completely that he could sleep through any storm. Remember that, remember that great story? Um, Jesus sort of having a little kip on the, in the boat, lying down on this pillow, in the midst of this fierce storm while everyone around him is in chaos. The good news of something, that is our king. 
the one who can lay down and sleep. Ultimately, the good news that is ours is that our king laid himself down in the sleep of death for us, confident that his father would sustain him and would wake him again to a new and resurrected life. Well, David had a great confidence in his God, and that points us to Jesus and his perfect relationship with his father. And you see that play out as we read the pages of the Gospels and see um, the incredible um, relationship Jesus has with his father. Um, But back to the psalm, David's confidence is not just that he would be protected and sustained by God. He was. Um, But his confidence was not just that. It was also that God would deliver him and would bring justice to his enemies. And so he cries out in verse 7, Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. Um, God did do this. Actually, he did deliver David. He did bring justice and judgment on his enemies. Uh, But how are we to understand this in the light of Jesus? Could Jesus have prayed that part of this psalm? Well, um, I think there's, there is an important sense in which the judgment of God against the enemies of his king, the judgment of God against the enemies of his king, there's a really important sense in which that is suspended with the coming of Jesus. Now, that remains a future reality that the New Testament and Jesus himself is very clear about that God in his justice will bring about. But the whole point of Jesus' coming was to make possible a way out of that. Now, to take that judgment on himself so that all people could come and, in the words of Psalm 2, come and take refuge in him. But I think there's also another sense that the coming of Jesus it actually kind of ramps up what's being said here. And it re- he reveals to us the true enemies of God. The true enemies of God and of his Christ. You might know the passage that says that we're not struggling against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of darkness, against sin and the devil and death. And what Jesus achieved on the cross, friends, was nothing less than the mighty, decisive victory of God over his enemies. Uh, In Christ, God has defeated death. He has struck Satan on the jaw. Sin is now a toothless animal that, while it might rage against us, does not have mastery over us. And that decisive victory of God in the death and resurrection of his son guarantees a day, a coming day, when God will be all in all and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Well, there's some thoughts there on those, those verses. But uh, it was God's great deliverance that David looked forward to. And it is a far greater deliverance that God has won for us in Christ. That's what he turns to uh, as we sort of get to the last verse there. From the Lord comes deliverance. And then he, fin- he finishes with this uh, a bit of a strange ending. Um, if you felt this is a little bit sort of out of character or it changes things or a bit of a different way of talking, he finishes with, with this line, may your blessing be on your people. Um, sometimes it's hard to know what you're writing, uh, how to finish off what you're writing. Maybe you're you know, in an email and you get to the end and you're quite, kind of not sure how to finish it. Um, all the best. Uh, kind regards. Cheers. Uh, is that what this is? Just a kind of stock phrase that David whacks onto the end of the psalm. Well, I don't think it is. It, it, it goes deeper than that. Uh, David's tapping into this really significant thing. Uh, this, uh, he's tapping into the intimate connection between God's king and God's people. What happens to the king overflows to his people. Um, so his people suffer with him. You see that in the story in 2 Samuel. David leaves and those who are faithful to him go with him and take on his suffering as well. Um, those who are faithful to him share in his persecution. And when David's delivered, he, David, he's in the middle of it at the moment when he's writing this, but he looks forward to this, he's confident that God will deliver him and he knows that at that moment God's blessing will overflow to his people. Um, God will bless his people through his king. Well, you might be asking, where am I in this psalm? I've um, maybe um, opened it up in perhaps a, a, a different sort of a way to what you might be used to. It's a good question. Um, I think we shouldn't be too quick to make ourselves the eye of the Psalms. Sometimes we are. It can be a little bit tricky to figure out. But in in this Psalm, uh, it is God's King who speaks. And it's Jesus who is the ultimate singer of this Psalm. And so I think in terms of what we take from this, first and loudest is that we might know our King better. Um, the words, so that the, this word of Christ would dwell among us richly. Um, this and Psalm and many others give us, I think, a really precious, unique insight into the inner life of Jesus that ought to lead us to sing, as we will later, Hallelujah, what a saviour. Um, but we are actually in this psalm. Uh, we come in right at the end, in that very last line. And that last line sets a bit of a pattern that we're going to keep reflecting on through this series. The fate of God's people is intimately tied up with the fate of his king. When he suffers, they suffer. And David knows that when he's delivered, they will, God's blessing will overflow to his people. Well, how much more so is it with 
God's true eternal King, our Lord Jesus, and to those who are united to him by faith. Uh, there's this common theme in the New Testament. Um, maybe it doesn't get as much airplay as it ought to. It's a really common theme through the New Testament that Jesus' people share in his sufferings. Um, they also share in his glory. They share in both his death and his resurrection. Sometimes we can want the resurrection without the death. Um, but God's king has always been a man of sorrows, familiar with opposition and grief. And God's people should not be surprised when they share in that. But God delivered his king. He delivered David. And much more gloriously, he delivered our Lord Jesus. And the place of blessing from God, the place where we also can start to say this psalm, where we also can have a shield around us, where we also are sustained and protected by the Lord of the universe, the place where we can say, I will not be afraid, is in our King who goes before us and we get sort of captured up in his train, in his, in his wake, for all of us who are forever united to him by faith. I just want to finish, friends, by reading out the Apostle Peter's reflection on this for us uh, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 14. Peter writes this, Dear friends, do not be... He's writing to Christians who are under pressure, um, Christians who are facing pressure from the culture around them, serious pressure um, and suffering because they are Christians. Um, some kind of comparisons to where we see it and increasingly so. He's writing to that, that context and Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as, as though something strange were happening to you. But then this is interesting, isn't it? But rejoice. Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. You're one of the people travelling behind David as Shimi sort of throws the rocks at him. You're, you're actually blessed. You're one who receives the overflow of our victorious Lord's resurrection. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let me pray for us. Our God, we thank you for this... Um, precious insight. Uh, we thank you for the way in which uh, David, in spite of his opposition, called out to you and knew you as his shield. Thank you for your deliverance of him. We thank you for great David's greater son, for our Lord Jesus, who fulfills this in the most incredible and perfect way for us. Thank you that in Christ, we share 
not only in his sufferings, but in his glory. Equip us, we pray. Um, Help us in whatever situation we face uh, to know that Jesus goes before us, uh, to know that we are his and he is our great king and that we can trust him in everything. And we pray that you might do that within us in his name. Amen.